Welcome to the Build Up on Balls.ie in association with Labrooks. Please bet responsibly. Visit dunlui.net for further information. We're delighted now to be joined by Stephen Ferris. Stephen, how's it going? Not too bad. Change of scenery today, guys. I'm in the kitchen. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the living room. Gotta keep mess, things fresh. So, yeah, yeah, fresh, freshen it up. Yeah, good so. I'm, all, I'm all good, thanks. Yeah, thankfully we're on our way to lockdown. Um, slowly, measures being lifted. So, uh, yeah, it's a bit better for the head. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. And we're, go- we're going to chat about the Lions tour, but just before we get to the actual part of the tour, just talk to me about. Um, what it means as a player or what, the, you know, as fans, usually you could sometimes nowadays, especially with the internet, the hype starts almost as soon as one Lions match finishes or tour finishes. Everyone's predicting the squad for the next one in a couple of years. It's, it's kind of like the hype and the excitement for it is mad. But as a player, you obviously have to focus on, it was like 2009 was a big year for Ireland. You're focusing on your club rugby or international rugby. When does it start entering your mind or that you know, that I really want to get into this Lions squad? Yeah, Mark, I think you're right. Like, um, if Ireland hadn't won a Grand Slam, if Ireland had had a, an average year in the Six Nations, would you wouldn't have seen as many Irish faces on the 2009 Lions Tour. And it was predominantly Welsh and Irish that were on that tour. There was very few English uh, and even less Scotsmen. So um, it, was, it was a tour that was, um, once you won that Grand Slam, and you were at the top of the tree, and you were playing really well, of course you thought about it. Of course you're in that shop window. Uh, you're in the best team uh, in Ireland that year. And, you know, I was a starter for Ireland. I wasn't somebody that was coming in and out of the team. I started all five games uh, during the 2009 Six Nations. So uh, I suppose I realised I had a chance, but Ulster weren't particularly doing that well. Um in and out, you know, some fantastic games and then some rubbish games. And I can remember we played Cardiff and Belfast. I think it was maybe the penultimate game before uh, the Lions squad was selected. And Andy Powell, of course, was playing for Cardiff. And Andy Powell played amazing. And I can remember getting into the change room after. They, they might have won or it was close anyway at Belfast. And we were talking about, you know, we just played Andy Powell onto the plane for the Lions. And, you know, mm. if, if, if he had had a bad game, like, he might not have made the tour. And, you know, Tom Croft might have been in ahead of him before, you yeah. know, Quinny, obviously, with the, the eye gouging of Leo on that. So, yeah, it's very, very, very fine margins. But, of course, it's in the back of your head, especially when you have success during the Six Nations with, with your country. I remember... the. Sorry, go ahead, Mick. No, sorry. I just I remember the the team, the squad announcement better than I remember any any other like you know still back in at home line story probably ever you know like before the tour actually started. And I wonder is that because we won the Grand Slam and Leinster were Heineken Cup champions and Munster had won the year before and Irish rugby was just on such a high. We knew we were going to have a huge amount of names on it. But I remember you your your name getting selected and it wasn't a surprise. And one of the pundits I had no idea who it was was kind of making the uh, a comment that like. You know, Stephen is probably someone that's getting picked, you know, for the tour game. But wait until he gets down there and, you know, is is on the field with these guys. He's going to prove himself. And, and, and it was a prediction made on the day that you would be a test starter. Now, we obviously know what happened with the injury. But is that kind of what you would have thought when you were selected as well? That, like, you know, maybe I haven't been around 
a tour before, maybe I've, I've only been playing kind of international rugby a couple of years, that maybe they see me as a flyer, but I'm going to know when I get down there with these guys, I'm going to prove myself. Yeah, maybe, Mick. I think, what, it was 23, was it, at the mm. time of, of getting selected? Like, um, Obviously, I was hugely disappointed at the time for Rory Best because he was a fellow Ulster man. Um, he didn't make a cut. Um, but then I sort of, there was a selfish side of me that just goes, you know what, this isn't about anybody else apart from you here to get on this team. And um, I, I put in so many hours on the training pitch. So like my preseason started at the end of the season, if that made sense. Mm. Um, Johnny, Johnny Davis, who's now left Ulster, he's with Tyrone actually, uh, Gaelic football team, head of strength and conditioning there. Uh, Johnny and I, like we pushed ourselves to the limits. Um, it was the fittest that I'd ever been. So I knew when you were chatting about there, when I was hitting the ground running, but I almost felt that I was half a step ahead of other lads uh, because I pushed myself so hard. And maybe I did need to be that half a step ahead to give myself a chance. And I think it proved that I was that little bit ahead mm. uh, in the couple of games that um, you know I got given the opportunity to, to wear the red jersey of the British and Irish Lions. And um, I felt at the top of my powers and unfortunately just a training ground incident it could happen any single day in training. Um, you know, I just tweaked me MCL and that was it over. But uh, yeah, in the lead up to that tour, uh, I never thought I was going over there to, to be a midweeker or to be making up numbers. Um, I Obviously, David Wallace, hope probably the best ever player that I've played with. Um, uh, he's probably the only person that could ever beat me in the gym and, you know, explosive power. And, you know, I really looked up to him. Um, and, uh, you know, it was just uh, at a time where, you know, I knew there was a couple of lads that were maybe just ahead of me, but in saying that, they were at eight, number eight, and they were at number seven. Mm. So I felt like, obviously, Qu the Quinny thing really <laughs> hit me for saying this. It probably played into my hands a little bit as well with a new face coming into the squad. So Tom Crofty and I had to play catch-up. But, geez, lads, look how it all panned out. Tom actually ended up playing, starting the first test. You yeah. know, it, it, it's, just, it's just crazy. And, yeah. and scoring, he scored two tries in that first game. So, um, I think, you know, professional rugby, um, from week to week, it's a long time. Like, it's a, it's a really long time. So, from the six-week tour, whatever it was, you could lose a wee bit of form or somebody else could be playing brilliant and you could miss out on your spot. Um, but I think, any of the lads that were selected to be there out of the 35, as was proven in the third test, could go out and do a job. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, I had to slip out of those 34, 35 players, whatever it was, after only, uh, what, three and a half weeks, four weeks on tour. In those few weeks, what was the dynamic like um, coming up with the... Like, it's a weird one because I was going to ask you, what was it like gelling with these players from uh, other teams that you'd gone head-to-head -head with then? But at the same point, you're also competing with them for a spot like you're saying you're going down there you're trying to be ahead of everybody else but at the same time you have to come together as a team and start functioning get along with the lads as well off the field not just on it yeah Mark I, I, do you know what it was only on the field that I felt there was real competitiveness that was it only on the training pitch um, only in live malls scrummaging physical contact um, a little bit in the gym but we're all big, strong lads. Like, you know, there's, there's no need to go out and try and impress somebody by putting another 10 kg on the bar just to say mm -hmm. here, you know, I, I'm macho man. We all, like, we could all lift heavy weights. Everybody that was there, we all knew our strengths. But it was on the training pitch that we seen that 
competitor side come out on a lot of people. And then as soon as the whistle was blown for the end of uh, training, we all just seemed to come together. And it was, it was amazing. Like we, I remember Penny Hill Park, you know, standing around the bar with uh, Mike Phillips and Lee Byrne and uh, James Hook and uh, even, you know, the strength conditioning lads and just having a few beers and having the crack. Um, it, it was just brilliant. There was no, uh, you know, shoulders puffed out, you know, I'm going to take your place. None of this. Likes of Joe Worsley, who was, you know, getting to the, the latter end of his career, I suppose, at the time as well. Um, he was somebody that put an arm around me and was like, you know, take me under his wing. Stevie, do you want to do 10 minutes low tackling drills after training? You know, he, we're all helping each other out and trying mm. to make each other better. And, and I think if you can get that in a squad, it goes a long way to being successful because, um, you know, people at each other's throats and trying to, I, you, you obviously watch the Sam Burgess, you know, stuff, you know, with George Ford not talking to him and look how their World Cup ended up. You know, I think you need a really happy camp. Um, and ours was certainly very happy. Um, it was brilliant crack on and off the pitch. And it all started in Penny Hill Park. Um, and that was the, the first couple of training. Well, I think it was about eight or nine days of training there. And then we jumped on the plane, obviously, to fly out to South Africa. Yeah, it's, it's how much of um, a part of all of that then, the dynamic was in McGeekin. And, you know, we, I think a lot of us will have seen, there's, there's obviously films about the 2009 um, tour as well but a lot of us will have seen the 97 living with the Lions and how much backstage and everything they got for that and like he just seems like this kind of like character who's just an unbelievable figure to just bring people together and create this team out of nowhere where you all have been at each other's throats basically in the Six Nations and in the Celtic yeah. League and everything else in Europe for, for years you know but you come together for that month or two Yeah Gage had um, something about him something very special um, I'm sure he wouldn't mind me saying this, like, but um, he probably wasn't the most technical coach around. Um, he, you know, he wasn't somebody that would do a Joe Smith and grab you and say, you know, put you in front of the laptop and this is where you're going wrong here, and this is where, where you, what you're doing right, what you're doing wrong. You need to fix this. If you don't fix that, you're doing laps of the pitch. You know, none of this here nonsense. It was more his man management of the players, mm. uh, his relationships with the players. He seemed to, you know, only after a couple of weeks, it was almost like he was a friend. You know, you, you could you go up to him and have your arm with him, put your arm around his shoulder, what's the crack gauge, give him a bit of slagging. Um, and, yeah, I think that comes out in his personality a lot, um, especially in, in, in the videos that you see. Um, and I don't want to take words out of Tommy Bowe's mouth, but he, like Tommy said to me from 2009 to 2013, it was like night and day in terms, yeah. of, in terms of the crack, the banter, um, you know, just the, the way the whole tour was run and, and maybe it did need to take that jump to be more professional to actually get success mm. um, but like 2000, 000, uh, excuse me, 2013 I think was just all about result, 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 yeah. result and just that, that was it about beating Australia and then uh, but 2009 Keith's done a fantastic job and of course you know he, he picks good coaches to help him out along the way yeah, but if you talk to, I don't know if this would have come up or whatever, but you're talking about what came after, but what came before was a borderline farce as well in New Zealand with the the, the Woodward, um, you know, the way yeah, too many players yeah. and the set 15 and everything like that. And if you would have, I don't know whether you would have talked to, to Brian or to Paulie or Wally or anyone about their experiences on that compared to 2000, like whatever, maybe 2013 yeah. was, the crack was gone, but in 2000 and 
we it, it was the most important tour of the Lions history really because of what had happened in 05 and it needed McGeekin almost to come back in and sort of bring back what the Lions was supposed to be about. I think so. Was was Malcolm O'Kelly in 2005? Yeah, he was there. Yeah, yeah. He was. So yeah. Mal O'Kelly and O'Connell, I think, didn't see each other for like three weeks, even though they were on the same squad. Um, different players didn't interact with other players because one team was flying somewhere else and the other team was going the other way and then the mm-hmm. test team was getting ready and you know, the midweeker team, they were doing their own thing, going out and having a few drinks or whatever. And there, was, there wasn't this bond between them. And I think that's what Geats was, I think, told from the powers to be about the Lions. This is what the Lions is all about. It's very, very special. And we need to get that back again. Uh, and, and he did that. I think he'd done a really good job of that. We all know how the three tests went. Like, you know, I, I think a draw probably would have been a fair result yeah. uh, at the end of it. Yeah. Um, I think it would have. Um, the O'Gar incident, I'm sure he has nightmares about that. But like the competitor that I know Ronan O'Gar is, um, he wanted to go and try and win that game. Mm. Like he wasn't intentionally trying to take somebody out in the air for Mornay Stane to step up and knock it through the post from what sixty yards out. You know, he wanted to regather that and give himself an opportunity to hit a drop goal to try and win the test. You know, he's that type of person. Mm. Um, but it was on a knife edge the whole tour and because in the warm-up games we were going very, very well I think the only close game that we really had was um, against the Cheetahs in Bloemfontein where it was quite end-to-end the, the game that I played in mm. um, but yeah, like in, in terms of you know uh, where we were in the tour the group of players that we had Ian McGeekin and the coaching staff I think they got it right um, and it was really thoroughly enjoyable Mm. Talk to me about those couple of games you're playing, especially the cheese zone getting the try. That must be a great feeling. Yeah, well, I, I was actually supposed to play be on the bench in the first game. Um, and I was just getting off the bus one day and my quad like just seemed to tighten up, probably just over training. And Geeks pulled me aside and said, Stevie, you know, just going through some weights. You're not gonna be on the team this weekend. Um you know, you might not play next weekend either, just the way the rotation is. We're looking at different combinations. And I was like, oh, yeah, fine. Sure, just, I'll be good to go. Just give me the nod. And then he put me on the bench against the Lions, um, the Golden Lions. Um, and I think I played. I can remember sitting standing on the touchline. And, like, Tom Croft started that game, and he was going very well. I think he scored a try. Um, very rangy, a fantastic athlete. And I was like, get me on this pitch, get me on this pitch, get me on this pitch. Just, just itching. I was like, right, get him off. We're 60 points up. Like, you know, get, get him off, get him off. Um, and Geach put me on. And, of course, um, I felt great. Felt really good um, playing at altitude. And there wasn't that many people in the stadium. It was pretty empty. It wasn't yeah, not, not much atmosphere. So we'll just go out and enjoy it. Uh, obviously, ran in a, a really good try. Um, and you know, that, that's been played a lot over the years. Um, and again, also remember Geach in, in the change room afterwards because I think I was, we had maybe two back rowers on the bench or something. So I was wearing number 19 or 20 or whatever it was, or 18 maybe. So I had like substitute second rows yeah. uh, jersey, mm. jersey on. And um, Ian McGeekin turned around the change room. I says, fantastic lads, brilliant result. We came here, we came to the home 
of South African rugby and we absolutely give it to them. We give them absolutely everything. And what a fantastic last couple of minutes with their substitute second row, Stevie Ferris, <laughs> running it in from 70 yards. Keats, <laughs> I play in the back row, like. <laughs> and he, he, looked, he looked at me, oh, sorry, Stephen, sorry, Stephen, sorry. Um, but, uh, Not the most technical a coach. No, I don't think he cared what number was on your back as long as as long as you'd done a good job. Uh, but yeah, and then obviously, Mark, I had to back it up four days later in Bloemfontein, or three or four days later in Bloemfontein. Good stuff. And like, I know the injury um, at the time, you were probably devastated on it, but you were saying to us that there was a chance as well that you could have actually maybe made it back as well to actually play in the tests. Yeah, like, I suppose, you know, played two games in the spin, Match fitness felt like it was getting there. Um, I think it was the Sharks, the Tal Sharks maybe. I was going to be in contention for it if I hadn't have injured myself. Um, and you know, man of the match against the Cheetahs, had a bit of everything, scored another try. Um, like I said, Keith Earls up a really good job. Just played solid, solid rugby um, and give myself every chance. And we're just down in Durban and training ground incident a couple of guys I was trying to do the old Les Kiss choke tackle hold a few boys up there was like a rocking drill two guys were coming in clear me out and when they cleared me out we all just kind of fell backwards and my leg was just tangled in around a couple of other legs and we fell back and my MCL just I just tweaked it and you know it's a four it was probably a four week injury four to six week injury yeah. but with the physios that we had on the ground there um the technology that they also had, they had loads of bits of kit with them. Um, straight away, Phil Pask, who was the physio at the time, he said to me, right, Stevie, you know, we're going to get, get you scanned. We're going to get started in this straight away. I went, right, okay. But when I hurt myself, and uh, it was Gary O'Driscoll, um, the Irish doctor, who's now at Arsenal. Um, he came to the side and he'd done the old test where you, you know, to see if there's a bit of giving, a bit of movement. And it wasn't particularly sore, like, but when he gave, done that there, it was like it, it separated a good bit. And he says, oh, and I went, oh, that's not what I want to see. <laughs> like, yeah. that's not what I want to hear. Um, and he says, right, we need to get this scanned ASAP. So got it, got it scanned the next day, I think. Um, and it got, then it got pretty sore. Joe Worsley was my roommate in, uh, in Durban. Uh, he helped me out. You know, got my bags all sorted for me. Um, yeah, and then a bit of reality sort of kicked in. Like, you know, I tweaked my MCLs a couple of times playing underage rugby. I knew it was four, five, six weeks, you know, strengthened up, come back again. And I sort of knew deep down that it was mature, it was sort of over. Um, and I remember sitting in the hotel room and I was just feeling a bit shit, feeling lonely, feeling that I'd trained so hard for everything and yet again I was struck by a bit of bad luck and um, if I had to absolutely wreck myself in a match I think it would have been a lot easier to take you know I yeah. think you kind of went, you're, on, you're on the field of battle you can kind of go right okay but it wasn't it wasn't an intense training session or anything it was just one of those things that happened um, I had a few tears just kind of feeling sorry for myself um, and then yeah I hung around for what 10 days actually went down to Cape Town with the team and to go back to your original question, you know, it was probably, well, I went to the first test in Durban and then flew home a couple of days after that. So 
it was maybe what two weeks two and a half weeks after I actually injured myself that I was jumping on the plane to go home and I knocked on Gary O'Driscoll's door and I said look what's the story here like this is feeling good walking around pain free you know if you asked me to step off it here like I probably wouldn't be too comfortable he said look Stevie this is the way it's going to feel it's going to feel like you can go out jogging here at the minute but you know you've probably pushed maybe to get onto the bench for the last match but you're not going to have played rugby for four weeks and you know obviously it's test matches against uh, South Africa and their home patch you know the best decision here is to go home and, and get it right and come back you know you'll get another shot at this in four years time and I was like right okay as it pans out that never happened but mm. yeah um, I had it in my head that um, I, I possibly could have made it back if this had happened in the first game that I was supposed to play in I definitely think it would have hung, hung around for sure to try and get a test a test game towards the end of the tour um, but that's the way the cookie crumbles yeah, there's no point in like I regrets. I'd imagine you probably think, and and you know this is just the way things happen. But I get the impression you also sort of know in your in your head that like you were firing on all cylinders, and that might have been almost the the defining part of your career if it had kind of gone on that you were sort of that was as good as as you know 2011 World Cup is obviously part of it, you know, and and various sort of like ridiculously high points in your career. But I get the impression that you sort of feel like that might have been. Um, where like everything is done right for me here, and you, you like you know you always struggled with injury, and you didn't have that until obviously it just happens, you know. Is yeah, again, not something that you look back on, but it, I think I get the sense you definitely think that that you would have kind of starred in that series. Well, I give myself a good chance to do it, mm-hmm. and that's the way I look at it. Like I think with the way South Africa were playing at that uh, at that at that time. It was the physicality that was winning them the games, you know, for the guts of a couple of years with Bakis Botha, Victor Matfield, Pierre Spees, you know, the Beast. They just brought physicality. And obviously that's something that, you know, I kind of base my game around. So I love matching fire with fire. And, and certainly in that first test, the conditions were absolutely perfect. Um, the atmosphere was electric. I was high up watching it. Birds Eye you and it was just um, you always have this feeling Mick that could have made a bit of a difference could I have put in a tackle that dislodged the ball to set up a try or to kick three points or I always have these things running around in my head um, maybe I wouldn't would I have been on, on the end of the ball that uh, Brandon Driscoll offloaded to Tom Croft to get one of the tries I might not have been there he was there so you know there's all these outcomes that could have happened but um, I definitely feel that I was playing the best rugby of my career I was the fittest I'd ever been and um, I felt that I had a lot more to offer and I don't think I wouldn't turn around and say to you lads that I thought I was better than any of the lads um, any of my opposition or the guys I was fighting for for that 6 or 7 or 8 jersey did I think I was better than them? No but do I think I was playing better rugby than them at that time? Yes so, you know, I, I think that my form probably was slightly better than a couple of other lads. And that's what maybe would have given me the edge for, for a start and test spot. Um, but it's, it's all hindsight. And, and the yeah. guys, you know, the guys done, you know, that first test was just, just insane how physical it was. It was an unbelievable, the whole thing is just so physical and we could see by like there was hardly anybody left standing at the end of it and you mentioned even <laughs> Raj having, you know, nightmares about it. I'd say that's, if he could remember it, he'd have nightmares about it, you know, because we know what happened yeah. to him. But like, 
for me, the second test in particular just stands out as probably one of the most memorable rugby games that I've ever seen. And I, I kind of just then think of you when you say you flew home after the first game and what was it like turning on Sky Sports, sitting in your house, you know, when you've been there for the guts of a month or whatever with these guys? It's a weird feeling, I'd imagine. Yeah, yeah, weird feeling. Um, do you know what? I wish I had a flown straight home like mm. a day or two after injuring myself. And if I was given any any current rugby players that are going to watch this, um, are you know like go to World Cups and they they tweak something and they're going to be out, don't hang around, get out of there. Uh, that sounds a very selfish thing to do, like around teammates. That, you know, but that they they need to focus and get to work. And the last thing that they need to be seeing is you moping around and feeling sorry for yourself and sitting around the team room all like I was just in the team room for more or less two weeks you know icing my knee doing some rehab with the physios I wish I had to get out of there straight away um, not went to the first test mm. you know watched it all at home because being there and, and feeling that, that atmosphere and, and then chatting to the boys afterwards seeing the disappointment it, it sort of it, it didn't really sit well with me and I would definitely advise anybody Who's, who's playing rugby like at the minute, um, who injures themselves uh, and needs to get home from a tour, a World Cup or Lions tour, get the hell out of there because um, it's not easy to, to watch your peers, um, you know, get beaten. And obviously you could have been a part of that. So uh, yeah, just a bit of advice there, Mick, for you. <laughs> <laughs> if I ever am on a Lions tour, <laughs> I'll get injured. <laughs> But on, a, on a more positive note uh, end on like look I know it didn't go to plan as, as we would have liked but at the same point I sense that even all these years later there's still immense pride there so you get like your ceremonial cap a couple of years ago you look at your autobiography your profile photo on social media to you and Alliance Charity there still must be that great sense of pride to have made that tour oh big time big time honestly guys it was the best time of my life like it was amazing it was so fun like you talk about teams and you know successful teams and everything else. It was just a great place to be with good lads. Um, my Lions number is seven six eight, and like seven six eight, like I played all the three positions: <laughs> number seven, number six, number eight. And then, yeah. of course, the the middle numbers, number six. Like you know, it, it was just it was really cool to have. I didn't even know what my Lions number was until I got it posted through. Um, and you know the memories that I have with lads with Andy Powell, um, you know the fitness staff, Lee Byrne, Hookie, Tommy, you know standing nightclubs with their tops off, swinging them round and round, smoking smoking a marble light, um, you know, and then get, get getting up for training the next day. And like the thing is, the all the staff, like you know, everybody was in it together. You know, it was yeah. none of this here. Oh those guys were out drinking last night, you know, I'm going to go and tell such and such and I'm going to do that. But there seems to be a bit of that now that's crept into rugby, like, because it's so professional. Um, and yes, of course, we were pros and we were trying to do everybody uh, proud back home from the British and Irish Isles. But at the same time, there was that off-field experience that was just unforgettable. Um, and lots of friends made, you know, rocking up to the first day in Penny Hill Park, rooming with Alan Wynne-Jones, Played against them obviously a few times um, by the end of the tour. Really good lads, and you know, anytime I see him, you would never walk past each other without 
without saying hello, without having a quick catch up. And you know, that's what Lions tours are all about: uh, making memories, making friends, and and trying to get results. Um, and you know, hopefully that tradition's kept going forward. Definitely sounds like memories that last a lifetime. Thanks very much, Stephen. <laughs> <laughs> like they certainly will last a lifetime. <laughs> <lads. laughs>